It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your host Dan Steinbeck and Cole Horn Orchestra. Welcome into this very special edition of the 3304 Sports Podcast, dropping on a Sunday night. Uh, I'm joined by Colbjorn Bergstrom. I am Dan Steinbach. We just had the NCAA tournament bracket reveal. It is selection Sunday. We have waited so long for this, and we have waited so long to hear that beautiful CBS college basketball music. Colbjorn, what are you feeling right now? We've made it. Uh, how are you feeling? March did not feel like March last year without March Madness and with COVID and everything. So the fact that we had March Madness in general, we you've shared your skepticism for it, but I'm just happy it's here at the very least for now on paper. Definitely, definitely. And we're going to talk more about that as the show continues. Uh, we're going to give you the rundown on some of our favorite matchups in the bracket. But first, while it's kind of all fresh in our head, uh, I want to start with the Virginia Tech UNC game. But before we even get to that, I am giving myself approximately 30 seconds of your time to gloat about the Dak Prescott contract finally coming to terms with the Dallas Cowboys. So I can just... Sit here and explain for hours how excited I am. But the fact is, the money is not an issue at all. And he's going to be here for another four years. I'm very excited. This team now, hopefully, Jerry's on his yacht somewhere and he just stays there through the whole season because now he could finally start making some nice draft moves and actually contribute something in free agency. And also, this weekend, I learned that you can just apparently make money disappear. You can turn any money you want into a signing bonus. This is what the Chiefs are doing. This is what I think the Bears just did. They just turned a lot of money into signing bonus money. Cap negotiations, it can all go away. We have Taysom Hill getting stupid money, but it doesn't really matter because it's all void. That literally just came out today. So everyone's freaking out about that, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I think we're going to stop the NFL talk now because um, (laughs) this is a college basketball show. Uh, Colby, if you want to touch on that, I'll give you 10 seconds. Uh, wow, way less. Okay. Um, good, good for you. So I know, I know you're a big fan of Dallas. So, congrats that you got Dak. Taysom Hill. It's weird. It's confusing. Um, NFL. We'll probably talk a lot more about it like at this coming week because free agency is going to be starting up with March Madness. This is wild. All right. So while it's still fresh in our head, I want to talk about Virginia Tech, UNC because this is a Virginia Tech. Show. I wouldn't call it a Virginia Tech show, but we are Virginia Tech students and we do watch our basketball team. And of course, we're going to be highlighting them in the uh, in their path to the bracket as they were unveiled their matchups uh, in the first weekend and hopefully beyond. What I want to talk about Virginia Tech UNC because watching that game was interesting. It was frustrating. It was exciting. But the, the thing that I want to highlight from that game the most was how good Justin Lutz was. I mean, my God, I did not, I knew he was good. And when we got him from Delaware uh, in the off season, going into this season, I was excited. I didn't know what we were getting, what we were going to be getting, but he just balled out. I mean, he showed every asset of his game. He, I didn't know that this was really in his game, but he was continually uh, doing this like isolation from the mid range. He was just being a mismatched nightmare down low. Uh, he popped out, shot a couple threes. He was just incredible. Tyrese Radford was also very good. He added uh, some points. He added 20 points in the game. He also did six rebounds because he's a rebounding type guard, very uh, around the basket, but he also did have a nice couple of step out uh, mid-range shots. He did not shoot any threes, but he was our second uh, 
he made the most free throws, but he was right behind Mutz and Couture in terms of actual taking them. Um, aside from that, though, why do I think that Virginia Tech lost that game? It was a close game throughout, and there were only a couple of possessions that if they go not your way, you're going to lose that game. That's just how that game ended up shaking out. Uh, the three-point shooting was not all that special, in my opinion. You had Justin Mutz going three of five. But then outside of that, Naheem Aline went four of six. All four of his makes were in the second half. But then Hunter Couture, who is your bench three-point guy, only got two three-point shot up, shots up the whole game, which I feel like is a mistake. And there was so much going right with that offense in the game, especially with the backdoor cuts, that they were getting easy layups down low, that it seemed like they wanted to focus a lot on that, but they didn't really capitalize on their three-point shooting. Um, and we can, I do want to preface that with going into the future of this team because they have so many shooters on this team. And it speaks to, you know what, I'm going to table that because I want to just do one more touch on where I think the problem in this game was. Uh, Kevin Aluma and Justin Mutz did really well early on with being physical down low with the mismatch in size against North Carolina's bigs, Garris Brooks and Beckett. Um, But then in, it, you it was just clear. They got worn down. They couldn't grab rebounds at the end of the game. They were just having so many offensive rebounds. North Carolina was at the end. And it really was just frustrating to watch because North Carolina has all these bigs that they have in this rotation, but Virginia Tech just wasn't able to go to that. You were seeing Aluma and Mutz on the floor a lot of the time. They both played over 35 minutes. And it was, there wasn't much depth in this game for Virginia Tech. Um, and I wanted to bring this up because as we go into the postseason and eventually the offseason, I want to talk and kind of talk about what I think would be best for the program and for the team in terms of going into next season with a more complete roster. I want to get your thoughts on the game before our, we do that. Um, I mean, as the season's gone on, I've noticed this more. Uh, first of all, kind of like as the ACC season ends, just massive, like, you know, hats off to Aluma and Mutz. When Aluma, like, to just give him a little bit of shine here, he was our high scorer on the team still, like average per game and whatnot. He's been kind of the focal point of our offense and, when he came in here, uh, it's not like we expected the world of him. Um, and he has been absolutely incredible from day one. He has single-handedly won us like some games with how well he's played. Um, and then you have Justin Mutz as well, someone who I personally did not know much about going into this season. And he started off a little slow. I remember there were some times early on in the year where he took some threes and it felt a little wild. Um but that game against UNC, I think, was the culmination this season of his, uh, you know, uh, continuing to grind, continuing to fit into the team well, taking his shots when he can, and being overall, I think, one of the most consistent pieces of our team. I kind of feel as if when we're in a rut, if last season it was really Tyrese Radford. If we were in a rut, he would be the guy to get us out. Now I really feel like it's Radford and Mutz. They're both just incredible players. And I mean, it's great that they were able to transfer into Virginia Tech and give us this incredible season that we've had. Um, beyond giving them overall shout outs, Mutz was incredible during UNC. I mean, as I said, it was the culmination of the whole season. It kind of felt like for Mutz there. That was his clear cut best game. Uh, 
he was leading the way for us when Keve was struggling throughout the game um, with, I, I think he had the Armando Baycott matchup and whatnot, but um, I think it's disappointing, but this is just uh, VT again, losing off of uh, like this time away, smaller COVID break. Um, and I think some of the best stuff for Virginia Tech is at the very least, knock on wood, we have not lost a back-to-back game yet. So if we were to lose, at least we will lose there. And other than some things I think were a little bit questionable um, during the game, is, is we didn't look horrible coming off our break. So I, I think that's something to be positive of for the fan base and for the team moving into the postseason. All right, so I, I kind of want to just preface um, or go into a – I'm using the word preface too much. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, I want to go into what I think is some big news for Virginia Tech's future in their roster construction because the other day, actually yesterday, Saturday, they had an announcement via Twitter. Storm Murphy, Wofford uh, point guard, entered the transfer portal and he will be coming to Virginia tech to rejoin his coach, Mike young. And I'm very excited about this because if there's one thing that I think this team was missing, uh, this season with, and you can see it in the offense that they were running against UNC, this team, I think is missing a point guard that can score in all facets of the game, particularly in shooting the three Tyrese Radford is a very good slasher. But and he definitely improved in his outside shot compared to last year, and he'll definitely probably be in the gym next year or in this offseason trying to improve again for next year. But I think that a guy like Storm Murphy really opens up the potential for this offense. And when you take a look at the shooters on this team, most notably Jalen Cohn, uh, Hunter Couture, and Naheem Aline, none of those three are guys that when handling the ball, I would say strike fear into the defense. I think Storm Murphy becomes that all-around threat, and that just makes uh, the other parts of the offense that much more potent. I mean, especially if you get a Hunter Couture running more off screens off the bench going into next season, uh, and he's not having to deal with a lineup where he might be the point guard at that moment in time because there was a lineup in there where Couture was the – point guard and there was an immediate turnover. And so that one, that one definitely confused me. Uh, but in terms of what I think the makeup of this team will need for next season, if I'm just looking ahead, uh, I'm looking at a potential starting lineup of, you know, Storm Murphy at one Tyrese Radford with him back there. You have Naheem Aline, probably your uh, wing as a slasher and as a shooter. And then you return Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma. I don't know what BCB is going to do, but I'm assuming that he's done with his college career. And uh, we're definitely thankful for what he brought. Uh, and then I'm looking at a bench unit of Hunter Couture and Jalen Cohn uh, leading the way as three-point shooters. Hunter Couture, especially as probably your sixth man, you know, being a guy that just brings energy wherever he's assigned. And then you, I, I would like to see some more improvement from the freshman, David Nissan, uh, Joe Bamisil, Darius Maddox, especially because I'm naming a lot of guards right now. And with what we saw against UNC, this team, I think will make it an improvement next year, just with experience and the addition of a player like storm Murphy. 
but they still, I, I would still like to see a rotational, um, a rotational big man in there. And whether that's John Ogiaco stepping up uh, from his sophomore season, which was probably kind of a disappointment to some fans after seeing some flashes in his freshman year. So either he becomes the guy that's, you know, that rotational big giving Mutz and Aluma some rest, or you go out and you hit the portal and you find someone. And I think that finding one of those rotational type big men that can contribute while still having Mutz and Aluma in the starting lineup. And then along with Murphy and Radford and maybe Jalen Cohen a little bit, if uh, Darius Maddox or Joe Banasil can kind of be just another ball handler. I think that this team is two pieces away from in terms of roster construction from just overall like major contention. And we're back here in a year. And if they add those pieces, I'm talking like, this is a team that could seriously make noise in the NCAA tournament, forgetting about the ACC, which next year you're looking to improve upon this number three overall finish in the regular season. What are your thoughts on roster construction, uh, the storm Murphy transfer and basically anything I just said. I'm very happy about that Storm Murphy transfer. Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't know too much about him uh, until, like, I heard that he was transferring. I heard a lot of the rumbling from VT Twitter and whatnot. Want to look up his stats, and he's done really well. Um, one of the things that was uh, good, good of note is when Watford was in the tournament with uh, Mike Young as the head coach, um, Storm Murphy had a very good showing there. Um, I think it was something around like 17 points per game and nine assists per game. But even beyond that, I've been being able to watch Virginia Tech um, like game in, game out for the past couple of years. I think our biggest need has been a scoring, like a really good scoring point guard and all around threat at point guard, which is what you've even mentioned on. So I completely agree with that. Um, I think we've missed a lot from the three there. And I, I feel as if it kind of limits our team at that point because Wabisa Beattie is such an amazing player, such an amazing person for our team, but he just doesn't take the most shots, um, which then brings the issue of if it's him and Couture and let's say maybe even Aline on the court, Couture and Aline are really your guys that are normally going to be shooting from the three. There's times where I've seen over the past couple of seasons where teams will just let Beattie take a shot from three. And I think that you really need that guy who's going to be that consistent threat from behind uh, from behind three-point. And I think that that's something that Murphy can provide for the team. Um, I like the five that you talked about. And I think one of the biggest things overall that the roster should be looking to add, whether it is through um, transfer portal or whether it's through uh, recruiting and whatnot, it is 100% more rebounds uh, from, you know, forward or maybe even someone who, you can classify as a forward, but is like a center, like a, a natural, like a center. Like that is been one of the bigger issues for Virginia Tech is consistent rebounding. Um, when Ojiako was shining during his freshman year, the I feel as if he wasn't inside enough as he could have been. Keve Luma, though he has like, uh, I think I saw eight rebounds a game on average. I don't feel as if uh, I see him inside enough in which, I mean, to be fair to him, he's kind of an all around forward, but we just don't have that guy who's going to be getting the consistent rebounds. And when you look at, uh, I mean, I've talked about before, I've watched Kansas for all my life. Uh, when you look at that type of Kansas team, 
you have David McCormick this year. You have Azubuki last year. Um, you have even guys like Jeff Withy back in 2015. Those types of guys that are going to make sure that they always get boards for you, and then they're going to put it right back up and get you a two. If Virginia Tech can get a player like that, whether they're starting or whether they're rotational, that I think will be game-changing for this team because it's going to be something where we aren't going to be missing. Like You aren't going to see three, for example, UNC players sitting under the basket after that shot's taken with no Virginia Tech players to contest. You're going to at least have that one guy who's tall, who's hopefully going to be able to be good with rebounds, that will be able to clean up some of our missed shots. And if we can get that, this team will be something special. Um, I think we have the guards uh, in the guard rotation to be able to do well. But as you pointed out, and as I 100% agree with, we need one more forward, I think, and a rebounding forward would be the best case scenario. All right. I like everything that you just said. Uh, it's a lot of focus on the future when the season isn't even over, but it's just fun um, speculation on our part here. So now we can just hop right into the news of the day, March Madness. Uh, so if you're an avid listener of the 3304 Sports Podcast, you know that I am not a fan of the NCAA as an organization, uh, particularly with how they've handled things. Now, yes, we have a tournament. I'm obviously through the roof about it in terms of my excitement, but I'm just, I'm nervous because what I have said in previous podcasts was, you know, what happens if you get a COVID test? Are you just going to cancel games? And it seems like that's going to be the case. And we've seen that happen now multiple times in just the ACC alone. I mean, you have the Duke and UVA cancellations. Now, I know we all hate Duke, but it's it's still a really tough thing to say to just end a season for those players, you know, those coaches at that program. And now we see that they're out of the tournament you know, just losing that chance of that auto bid, that last chance losing it. Um, it definitely isn't something that you would want to happen to your team. And even if it's not a team like Duke, which has some hatred around it on a national level, they got a team like North Carolina A&T uh, in the MEAC. They were the number one seed going into their tournament, but COVID kicked them out and now they don't have an auto bid. So it's stuff like that where I just feel for teams. I mean, there were a couple other examples um, in the Patriot League. Holy Cross had their quarterfinal game canceled, and the, they were playing Loyola Maryland, who made it to the finals to play Colgate, who they lost to. So it's just kind of that thing where it's like, if you did play, maybe you do make it to the final, and maybe you do win. It, it's a lot of maybes. It's a lot of ifs and buts, but it, it's still just the reality that we live in with only this year. Um, so it's not anything to lose too much sleep over, but it, for a team like a North Carolina a who probably could have made the tournament, it, uh, you definitely do feel some sympathy for them. Um, and I'm just looking here at the COVID-19 protocols for the tournament in general. Uh, once the bracket is finalized and released, teams will not be reseeded or the bracket change. So bracket's not changing. Uh, no replacement teams will be introduced after the championship begins. Replacement teams must be among the best teams considered for an at-large bid. We had those with the first four out with Louisville, Colorado State, St. Louis, and Ole Miss in that order. And then replacement teams will be only introduced into the championship within 48 hours of the announcement of the field at no time thereafter. So when you're thinking about something like that, 
you go into, okay, who are some of the teams that are in the field that do have some COVID questions and there are really only two and it's UVA and it's Kansas. Now, ACC rules and NCAA rules are different. With Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech has had so many uh, time off, has had so much time off due to contact tracing, due to really no positive tests in terms of players. But now with UVA, and I think, and I think with Kansas, I know you follow that program closely, so correct me if I'm wrong. There, does COVID, does Kansas have a COVID positive player, or is it something else? Uh, I, I think it was a tracing type of circumstance. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I could even be a little bit wrong on, like, I'm a little iffy on the details as well. But um, I know we had one, I think we had one player test positive. I, I know okay. it was released that it was Jalen Wilson had something come up, which is why the, they didn't play the semifinal game. But they had okay. a couple of COVID scares. Okay. So with those two programs, with UVA and Kansas, who are in the tournament, I would say that those are the two teams that as of right now have the most questions around them. Now, as of last night's deadline at 11 PM local time for both of them, they didn't say anything about, we can't be in the tournament. So as of right now, they're in and they, it, it says that they have 48 hours prior to the game to basically be locked in. And at this point, I'm not seeing any signs that they won't be. So I'm not yeah. saying anything with that. Um, but that's just kind of a kind of the lay of the land when it comes to COVID with the tournament this year. And it's just going to be interesting because what I've been talking about is how we will look back on this season and how we'll view a potential champion. And my only fear is that this bubble does not work as well as we want it to. And we're looking at an elite eight matchup or, a, or heaven forbid, a Final Four matchup, having to get canceled due to COVID. That would be, I think, worst-case scenario, where you potentially lose a national championship contender just because. Um, that's all wild conjecture on my part. I will definitely own up to that if it does not come to happen. I'm not trying to make people think that this is like a mega fake tournament. But if it does happen, I think it's going to be just a really bad look, and it's why I personally have advocated for ever since like back in November, I'm pretty sure I did uh, a podcast back in November or around that time at the, before the start of the season where I thought just move it back. We don't need to play non-conference games. Just have a 20 game sprint from February to March, hold the tournament in April or May. We're going to get the vaccine soon. Uh, states are starting to detail when vaccinations will be made available to everyone. And the government has said that we should have all vaccines around the end of May. That's their target line. So in terms of something like that and making sure that we are 100% sure that something like this would work, I, I, I was just very bullish on how the NCAA did it. As of now, we have a tournament. It's going to go forward. I don't think – at the moment right now, no team, no game is going to get canceled in the first weekend – it's just that if something like that does come up, I think that it could end up being a bad look. But that's just me. Uh, I want to swing it back to Virginia Tech's path because, I mean, we're Hokies and we want to see what this team has uh, looking ahead of them. They will be in the first uh, weekend. They will be playing on the 19th, so that is uh, the Friday games. And they are the 10th seed in the South and they will be playing the seventh-seeded Florida Gators out of the SEC 
times have not been made uh, official yet, but if honestly, if I'm just looking at that game right now, that looks like a game that could be very early. That could be like the first game on the schedule. Uh, that's again, conjecture on my part, but it could definitely happen. It seems like it's one of the first games on the ESPN app that's listed. So, I mean, just based off that alone, even. Yeah. Like that could be your Friday at noon game, honestly, because I go back a couple of years. I remember the Trey young Oklahoma team, they played Rhode Island in the first round and that was the first game. And that was a seven ten game. And I think it was in that same part of the bracket, the top, right. So anyways, that's fun. If that's our first game and we don't have to wait along that, wait that long. Um, in terms of what Virginia Tech has to deal with, I know I don't know really anything about Florida. Um, I didn't follow the SEC much this year, but I just looked into one number in their national ranks, and that was their offensive rebounding numbers because UNC gave me some worries about this team going through March. If they want to win an NCAA tournament game in year two under, under Mike Young, I feel like they have to keep Florida off the glass because Florida does have some big guys on their team. Uh, they have Michigan transfer Colin Castleton. And they also have another six. They have Omar Payne. He's 6'10". Uh, they have Jason. Uh, I'm going to say Jitoba. Uh, he is also 6'11". Um, so, yeah, they've got the size advantage, definitely. And they are, but they are only 154th in the nation in offensive rebounding. Virginia Tech is 199th in that same category. But that's going to be the, have to be the target area to win this game, I think. I think it's definitely possible. I mean, uh, Florida did worse in their conference. They finished fifth. I, w- what are your initial thoughts on this game? Uh, do you think that Virginia Tech as a 10 seed was seeded fairly? I mean, I'm, I, I, I want to look at some of the teams that were ahead of them, uh, specifically ACC-wise as well, if, if we want to even say if it's fair in that case, in which you have Clemson, which to me kind of confuses me, particularly after they got upset by Miami. But – I know that's been something that's been projected for a while. I remember even like during this past week that they were projected as like a four at some points. That was pre-Miami loss. You have North Carolina eight. That doesn't upset me. They just beat us. They played a lot of their games. They look good for the most part. Um, yeah, Georgia Tech at the nine seed. Uh, they just won the ACC tournament. They should, you know, I'm surprised that they aren't higher, but they should be higher than, Virginia Tech. And then you have some of the other ACC teams like FSU and UVA who should be high seeds. I'm surprised they ended up as fours um, after this week, uh, but whatever. Overall, I think they probably should have or they probably would have earned those fours anyways. Um, for seven matchups, I mean, there's some pretty decent seven teams, but overall, I don't think Florida's the worst that we could have got. Um, yeah, they're in a, not the best SEC I think Alabama and Arkansas, like Arkansas got streaked like uh, really hot January, February, seem to have cooled off a little bit recently. Um, but Alabama has been really good. And beyond that, it's kind of been wishy-washy, I think, for most of the teams. Like Tennessee has been a bit up and down. LSU, who uh, I think was three, but somehow is the eighth seed. Like the, they were the third ranked SEC team, but now are somehow eight under Florida. Um, I, I don't even know much about them. I don't know too much about Florida. Um, all I know is that when you look at the rebounding numbers, they were higher than us, which isn't surprising with their 6'11 forward. Um, 
I think the, the glass is going to be huge, but I think specifically with how Virginia Tech plays, the most important thing for the team is being able to bounce back after losses they have, um, but even more importantly, being able to hit the three. Um, something I didn't touch up on most, uh, much in the UNC game was we were without Jalen Cohn, and it's most likely that we're going to be without him going forward. Last time that he was really talked about, he was in a boot. And I don't think there's been much to actually talked about uh, his injury. I could be wrong, and you can clarify if I'm wrong. But like, no, you're right. Uh, he, as of right now, I'm pretty sure his entry is listed as out definitely. So I do not yep. see Jalen Cohn making a return to this NCAA tournament. I think he's done for the year. And I think our talk about him being uh, a part of next year's lineup comes with the thought that he's going to take the offseason to really make sure he gets that foot nice and healthy yeah which i think is one of the big issues i think without someone like jalen cone who i mean he got cold like january february but he was one of the key players for us last season and this season because he was the guy that you could look to you could just toss in the ball and he'll splash you a three and couture's even been that guy as well so i i think if virginia tech is able to hit the three ball as they've shown that they can they should be able to beat florida but you just have to make sure that that happens. And actually the other key thing I think we should highlight is we need to make sure Keve Luma does not get like, you know, cut out. Like he has a, like against UNC and he has in some of the other games, because whenever Aluma is less accurate as than he normally is and struggles in a game, the whole team tends to struggle because we very much have our play go through him. Certainly, certainly uh, can't really speak much besides what else is, been spoken on how important Kevin Luma is to this team. Uh, I want to touch on, okay, so then let's make the assumption that Virginia Tech makes the, gets the win under Mike Young for in his second season, already puts a NCAA tournament win under his belt. I mean, already having an NCAA tournament appearance this early on in his tenure, it's I think very is impressive. very impressive. I'm, I, I don't, I can't, I don't think there's one Virginia Tech fan that is not impressed with the work that Mike Young has done here yet. And especially still doing more, bringing in a guy like Storm Murphy, uh, it, it just makes I mean, hey, you that much more confident in the years to come. I mean, at this rate as a Virginia Tech fan, you should be expecting Mike Young to have us win the ACC next year. All jokes, it's, but it's yeah, on. I mean, I mean it's getting to trajectory. it's getting to that trajectory where your where expectations for Mike Young are definitely going to be sky high. Even though we will, there will be moments where <laughs> there were moments this year definitely as a fan that I probably put expectations too high where, you know, this team is riding high and then they have just like a tough loss and it just it just brings it back to reality. I think that there are still going to be some moments like that next year and in the years to come with Mike Young, but I definitely think that he's going to have this program right where he wants it to be. Um, and I want to focus on if he does get that first win coming up on Friday, you have a second round matchup, most likely against the Ohio State Buckeyes out of the Big Ten, the two seed in the Southern region. Uh, unless the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles out of the Summit League, they take the cake there. Uh, I will say I was right on Oral Roberts defeating North Dakota State. I'll take credit on that. And I actually had a very good day today. I actually had a pretty good week uh, in terms of my selections of NCAA uh, conference champions. So I'm very proud of myself. I'm definitely riding high today. Um, but let's be fair here. The Ohio State Buckeyes probably will take care of business because they have a very good team, a team that took the Illinois fighting Illini, who I think are the second best team in the country right now. We'll get into that a little later, but they took them to overtime today in the big 10 championship. Yeah. And Ohio state has a really good squad. I mean, EJ Liddell 
and Dwayne Washington, Dwayne Washington, especially dropping 32 points, eight rebounds today uh, in 40 minutes of play against the Illini. He was really good. Um, and if there's one thing I can speak to Ohio state about it's their energy. They have really good energy. They really know how to close games out uh, late. And they showed that against Michigan in the semifinal when they upset them and they had a comeback. They had to come back against Illinois via Illini pulled it out in the end, but Ohio State definitely gave him a fight up until the very end there. So I think that would definitely be a tall task for the Hokies. But I mean, hey, I've got some stats here that I want to share with you because we want to talk a little bit about our favorite matchups going into the tournament this weekend and in weekends beyond because uh, we, we love filling out our brackets and we love picking upsets. So we want to try to give you some help on who we think are some of the more vulnerable top teams and who we think are some of the more dangerous lower seated teams in the bracket. Uh, now, before this gets started, I do want to say, I don't think it's March madness without good announcing. And man, I know that there are TV contracts and everything, but man, I need Gus Johnson back. I need <laughs> Gus Johnson back with CBS. I need him to make his, you know, Oh, what game was that? Was that Kansas state Xavier? is the game that I'm thinking about where he had one of the all time games in terms of announcing down the stretch. I mean, he was just, Oh, he is such a good hype announcer. When, when the game, when the game comes down to crunch time, there's nobody else I want than Gus Johnson making the call. No, I mean, I'm, I'm more than game for that. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So hopefully we can, we can send this over to the CBS crew and get them at Fox to let him, just, just get him and Rafferty back together. That's all I need. That's all I need. I just need him and Rafferty back together for a nice little 12-15 game. And speaking of, I'm going to run through some numbers here. Because when we go into the first weekend of the tournament, there are going to be uh, the questions of who do I pick to upset? Now, according to this, this is the official NCAA website. And they are determining an upset as at least two seats higher. So in a nine over an eight, I don't think anyone ever considers that an upset that happens no. all too often. So we're looking at 10, seven. I don't really think this is much of an upset. Uh, no. So I really want to focus on the 11 through 14 uh, on who we think that could be dangerous in terms of not just winning a first round game, but maybe even making a small Cinderella run who knows. So I want to start out mm -hmm. with the 14 seed. Let's do, let's go from the bottom and work our way up to the top. I want to start with the 14 seed. Now, according to this, and I think this is this data goes back all the way since this field expanded to 64, which was in 1985. So there's a lot of data here. A 14 has upset a three seed 21 times, which means that this is a percentage of at least uh, one of there's a 15% chance that we will get at least one of them. To me, that's pretty good odds. Um, don't know if it happens this year. But if there's one team in that 14 line that I think gets done, uh, I got to go with the mean team, the net ranking champions, uh, the Colgate Raiders. They are yes. a 14 seed in the Southern. Uh, it will, I should say massive air quotes, South region, because they're all being played in Indianapolis, but they're just keeping the names the same. Uh, I'm going to, I'm saying Colgate. I like that team. I watched them today for the first time in the Patriot league final against Loyola Maryland, who we talked about earlier. And they look pretty impressive. They're going up against Arkansas, who honestly, I think, is, I, I, I think that they're an unimpressive team. Um, like you said, they definitely have got 
they're, they definitely got streaky earlier on in the season, cooled down a little bit. I think that Colgate could be a, I, I don't now. I'm not telling anyone to pay, to make this pick, but if we were to say, take a 14 over a three, I would say that was the one that'd be the matchup to go with. What are your thoughts? Do you think that Colgate's the best 14 seed out there? It's a three seed taking on a three seed. I mean, of course, it is at this point. But opening opening line, Colgate minus seven and a half. (laughs) But yeah, no. If it's a huge line, I I I gotta be mad. But I mean, Colgate, yeah, they're a pretty solid team. Uh, All my issue is, is we've talked about this before. A lot of those wins are coming up against the exact same teams. I think they only played like four teams uh, before the or three teams before the tournament. Uh, the Patriot tournament and they won. So, I mean, you know, like hats off some, they were still able to get up there. So at the very least, uh, NEC wasn't wrong that they were the best in the, what was it? The Patriot division. But beyond that, I think there's some other good ones. I mean, I, I you've heard stuff over the past week of like Abilene Christian and Eastern Washington. I just think that they have hard matchups with Kansas and Texas. Bay 12 has looked really good this year. So, I mean, of the 14 and three seed matchups, I definitely like Colgate, Arkansas the best, but I, I just still wouldn't be willing to put money on that one or put, you know, my pick on that. Certainly, certainly. If you want to win your bracket poll group, don't listen to us. We're just having fun. But I mean, <laughs> if you want to go for it, you, hey, to win those things, you have to be bold sometimes and you're going to have to make a pick that no one else makes. So maybe it's maybe it's one of those lower seated teams. Uh, let's move up to the 13 line. Now, there are actually two teams that I really like here. And two teams that I became fans of uh, on Saturday when they were playing in their conference championships, uh, the Ohio Bobcats in the Mid-America Conference, some action over there. And then North Texas from Conference USA, the Mean Green, had a hot start to their game against uh, Western Kentucky. And then kind of faded, but then made a nice comeback and then played some really good defense down the stretch to take it in overtime. They're playing Purdue. Out of those two, I like Ohio. Uh, even though North Texas plays really good defense, but I got to give Ohio the best 13 because they have Jason Preston. And Jason Preston is probably, I mean, if you haven't heard of him by now, I don't think you're a real college basketball fan because this dude is electric. He can score and he's one of the best assist guys in the country, flat out. Uh, They're going up against UVA. So I know there might be some Hokies that want to make that pick out of spite, but I mean, it's not just out of spite. I think that there could be some really good reason, especially if a guy like Jason Preston can't get hot. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the 13 line. I'm going with the Ohio Bobcats. I mean, you're, you're more of an expert on uh, the North Texas and uh, Ohio than I. So with, with you there, I'll ride with you um, wherever you're willing to go. But I, I do want to touch up on one of the Virginia teams that made it in, and that's going to be Liberty. Um, bad news for them. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say for you to pick them. Uh, I, I think we're going to talk about this team more, but. They, they had the unlucky draw of getting Oklahoma State, but Liberty's been a pretty solid team this year, uh, and they're led by uh, Darius McGee, who's averaging 15.6 a game with just about a steal and a couple assists. Uh, they're in overall, uh, generally not like, you know, it's not one of the conferences you talk about all the time, but the, the, Sun, the Sun Belt, or I think it's Sun Belt, or it's a Sun or whatever. Um, overall, they're Liberty tends to be pretty good. I think they've had a couple upsets here over the past couple of years in March Madness, but I would say, though as good as they may be, don't expect it for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has been such a great team. Uh, Big 12 tourney runner-ups. So 
that's that's my team I would, you know, say keep an eye on. I think overall that's going to be one of the more fun matchups. Okay, okay, definitely one of the matchups that can produce most highlights. I mean, especially with all the eyes on that game. I mean, Kate Cunningham and that Oklahoma State team is just so exciting. All right, let's move over to the 12 line. This is a popular talking point. Those 12-5 matchups, everyone loves to say, okay, who's going to be it? And I want to update uh, our numbers here because I mentioned the 14 seed over the three seed happens 15% of the time. The 13 seed over the four seed happens 20% of the time. You're getting one of those 20% of the time uh, in terms of frequency. So now we're getting into the real big dogs. The 12 over the five happens 35.7% of the time. And then we're going to go all the way up to 11 where that happens 37% of the time. So you definitely need to make sure you have at least one of these in your bracket if you want to survive in your bracket pool. Now, looking at the 12 line, you got some names. You've got Georgetown, who just made an incredible run in the Big East uh, Conference Tournament, upsetting Villanova, and then going on to just absolutely smack Creighton. I mean, my goodness, that was not even a contest. And then you have Oregon State, and man, have they been, the media loves them. They love a good rags to riches story picked last in the Pac-12 regular season uh, by the by the media, and then they end up coming out on top in their conference tournament and being a bid stealer. And then you look at UC Santa Barbara, who played a really nice game last night. I mean, I thought UC Irvine could be there, but I know when the bracket was revealed, the guys on CBS were very excited about this Creighton UC Santa Barbara game. And honestly, I could be too, because I don't like Creighton at all. I was not impressed by them at all, especially in their game against Georgetown. So that's definitely a game to look out for. But I think that with the two of us, we were talking about this before the, we started recording. Winthrop, uh, out of, I think they're the Southern. I think that's right. Um, they're going up against Villanova. Villanova having a pretty much just slug to the end of the season. Uh, they're dealing with injury. They're dealing with how their tournament ended. Obviously, Jay Wright, really good coach, good program that he's got over there. But Villanova's had a couple of moments where they falter in the uh, NCAAs in the first weekend. I think that Winthrop could definitely be the best team on the 12 line here. No, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Winthrop has a really good play with them uh, yet again. I mean, one of the things when I'm looking at this team statistically, one of the surprising things, something that I personally don't see too often is they seem to be very well-rounded with their scoring um there's their second like highest rated uh minute player um i'm gonna go ahead and see his name here uh by the name of michael anumba isn't one of those guys however with an overall uh their top four guys all hitting double digits uh, a couple of them getting around five plus rebounds in their guards uh i've heard that they have really good like play and they're obviously the best team out of their conference, um, only having one loss on the year. Winthrop's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, and then it's always, in March, a very scary thing to come up against a streaky team. We can make all the jokes we want about Oregon State and Georgetown winning their divisions and there being the Cinderella's and the fact that Creighton got slapped in their final game and Creighton being one of the five seeds, it should be even like scarier or are they five? I actually, I think I made, no, they, they are one of the five. They are five. Yes. They will be playing UC Santa Barbara. So you Creighton fans should be petrified for that. If, if Georgetown's on the same level of UNC Santa Barbara, but 
all in all, I mean, when I look at the fives uh, in 12 matchups here, I mean, I don't feel too strongly about Colorado. I don't feel too strongly about Tennessee. I don't feel too strongly about Creighton. I don't feel too strongly about Villanova. It just looks like there is a lot of really like the five twelve matchup seems to be very scary this year. Um, and I just feel really bad for Villanova because otherwise I think that this would have just been a really fun game where Villanova would have probably went over. But that might be a very favorite pick to, you know, go 12s over the fives. Certainly, certainly. And as fans, we always want to root for the underdog. Uh, the tournament's always more fun with more upsets. It's not always as much fun when it's just a lot of chalk. Um, so the 12-5 matchups are definitely ones to stress over when you're picking your bracket because, I mean, they can make or break you for that championship. And the first weekend's always the toughest, especially when it comes to the number of upsets that happen. So we're trying to help guide you through that. Uh, now let's finish up with the lower seeds that we think could maybe – up, make some upset and make some noise in the first weekend with the 11. And I'm going to highlight this one team. Uh, it's Mountain West runner up Utah State. And I'm only saying that because they have a center. His name is Nemius Kata. And he is an absolute freak show. He is really, really good uh, on defense, on offense, rebounding. I mean, he just is really the motor for that team. It's a very good defensive team. They're going up against Texas Tech. Uh, I'm not very much aware of what Texas tech has done this year, but I know that they're a well-coached team, but I feel like that could be a potential place to go for an upset. They, I would say the Utah state's my number one team, but I know that a very popular pick just on name alone would probably be Michigan state going up against a BYU uh, strictly because of the name. I, I don't have high opinions on Michigan state basketball this year at all, but I definitely could see them being a favorite pick for an upset in terms of a, an 11 over a six. What are your uh, views on 11 seeds? Uh, I mean, a, a little bit of my heart lies to Wichita State. Uh, the Shockers have been one of the, you know, honestly highlight teams of college basketball over the past decade. Um, obviously, they've done some stuff prior to, but they had that dream run to whether it was the Elite Eight or Final Four. Um, they've had loads of upsets left, right, and center. Uh, I mean, they have, uh, was it Fred Von Fleet? who is now the that 2013 player. team with Wichita state with Fred Van Vliet, uh, Ron Baker, Clanton early to cotton. They made a dream final four run only to be losing to uh, Rick Pitino and Louisville in the vacated national championship. Uh, so maybe they consider themselves runners up because they maybe had made the finals. I don't know, but that team is, was so good. And then following it up the year after with that undefeated regular season was just insane they end up losing to the eventual national champion kentucky wildcats if they don't run into them i think that they make the final four um and then there was the year where they're a seven seed and they upset kansas in the round of 32 yeah early decade <laughs> or middle 2010s wichita state basketball was so much fun and it was the sole reason why i put them on my uh, college watch list for when i was applying to schools but didn't end up going there. I ended up going to Virginia Tech, but I do have a soft spot for the Shockers in my heart. So I get what you're saying in terms of where they are. They have a tough matchup against Drake. Um, former Missouri Valley schools going at it in the first four on the 18th. So that'll be a fun game to watch. I, I, I like Drake this year. I, I think that they deserve an at-large bid. My, my, my heart lies with the Shockers there. 
but my overall mind for my favorite for the 11 seed, I'm just trying to make sure I'm right here because my bracket's a little blurry. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I am. It lies with Syracuse. It lies with the Orange. They were they looked really good when they played NC State, and they're a team that gets uh, very streaky um, in games. And if you let Buddy Beheim play, he will absolutely tear you open. Um, one of the best players in the ACC has been great uh, as well, uh, like for the time that he's been with Syracuse. And this is a team that you know they're they're looking pretty good, and I think that they're a team that can do some damage if they're allowed to do so. I mean, they have a hard matchup in SCSU, but I think they can get the job done. Certainly, certainly. So now I'm looking, now that we have those bases covered, I want to hop over to the top ranked seeds because we all, we all know that we have to maneuver our first round with class if we want to escape and be at the top of our bracket pool. But we also need to make sure the teams that we pick to go the farthest actually go the farthest so we're gonna bring up some of the top seeds we're gonna go four through one and we're gonna tell you the weakest seeds and who might not escape the first weekend or at the very most be bounced in the sweet 16 i want to start with the four and i actually want to just bring up these numbers because according to the same website in terms of a seven or a 10 beating a two in the round of 32 you're getting one of those a year you're getting 1.2 a year in the last 35 years and in that same time frame a six or 11 that meets up with the three seed wins 1.3 per year. So actually it's higher. So definitely be on the lookout for this. And when we talk about the two or three, you know, we can, I mean, maybe that's some good news for Hokie fans, because if you're being that 10 and you're going, maybe you're the one uh, 10 seed that moves on to the sweet 16 and beats Ohio state. So let's talk about the four. And when I look at the four line, I'm looking at teams like Oklahoma state, who I think could end up being a very trendy final four pick. If they weren't in the same bracket as Illinois, I'd probably put them in the final four. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'd have to put them probably in the East region because I like Baylor and I like Gonzaga. I mean, I might honestly, I probably would like Oklahoma state over Baylor. Uh, that matchup goes well for them. They are they familiar won. with each other and they yeah. already beat them. Um, so obviously, yes, I, I don't think Oklahoma state's the bet, the worst uh, four seed. When we look at Florida State, they only lost by a couple of points and they turned the ball over 70,000 times. I think that they'll be fine. I think that their talent and their roster makeup definitely can help them make a push in this tournament. And when I look at their region, the East, we'll talk about Michigan later. And we'll talk about uh, Alabama when we touch on one and twos. I think that Florida State could maybe emerge and finally break that uh, lack of a final four. I mean, they're on the cusp so many times they've been to a couple of the lead eights, but they're just always just that one step short. And I think Leonard Hamilton could maybe have an opportunity to get them there this year. So I wouldn't go with them. When I look at the other four seats, I'm looking at UVA and I'm looking at Purdue. We all remember that elite eight matchup where it went to overtime in the last tournament. That was a pretty classic game. But if I had to give the edge to one of those teams this year, I would go with UVA. I think that they're just a better team all around. I think they've got the players to do it. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not that familiar with what Purdue has done. I look at their schedule. I look at their record. I look at what they've done this year and it's not impressive to me. So I would go with Purdue being the weakest of those. And you're looking at a region with Baylor uh, in the sweet 16. And you're looking at a first weekend of North Texas, who could be a really chippy squad with that defense and with that energy that they bring. 
and then you go into the second round and you're playing either Villanova or Winthrop, I don't see Purdue going outside of the first weekend, to be completely honest with you. I mean, for your for your four seed talks, that's exactly how I'd uh, rate it. Um, I've definitely been paying attention a lot to Big 12 play very recently, and Cade Cunningham and the Cowboys are just a phenomenal team. Um, this is one of the best Okie State teams I've seen as like someone who watches the Big 12 in a while. Um, I remember the last time Okie State was really this good was when, you know, current Boston Celtic Marcus Smart was on that team, and he was amazing with them. But this is Okie State team that has a lot of hype around them, uh, as Kate Cunningham's probably going to be the favorite for a lot of people to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. And, I, I mean, rightfully so. They're a great team, runner-up to Big 12. Uh, FSU, as you kind of said, I don't need such a pump too much on them. They're a very safe team. They're a very well-coached team. And what happened uh, against Georgia Tech, their coach is going to ensure that that does not happen again against USC Greensboro. And I think Michigan is possibly the weakest of the one seeds. So if there was a four seed to upset a one seed, if we get to that point in the Sweet 16, I do agree with you. I think that FSU could show up for that type of game. And then you have UVA, Purdue. We both don't know much about Purdue for the Big Ten. Uh, I don't think they really have too much going for them. And, I mean, they don't have great matchups of either Villanova, Winthrop, or North Texas in the first weekend. So I would definitely have not too much, too, not too grand of expectations for them. Um, and then UVA, it's a Tony Bennett team. Uh, it's a really solid team. And overall, I mean, I don't know as much about Ohio as you, but that sounds like that'll be a good matchup. And then beyond that, Creighton has looked very bad at times this season, uh, particularly as of late. So I, I don't even really count them too much right now. I mean, that's something that we'll have to look into. But they have UC Santa Barbara, and they're pretty – uh, I think they're one of the more frequent March Madness teams that come in out of one of the smaller conferences, but still. Uh, I, Virginia is a team that I would say feels kind of safe to go Sweet 16. All right, so what do I want to touch on? Yeah, I want to touch on with Purdue. Being someone that's familiar with Big Ten basketball, they just don't have that. They, they have a guy. They usually have a guy that you're worried about. Yeah. Um, Zach Eady is a freshman. He's seven foot four. He's kind of that mold of like the Matt Harms and all those other centers that would terrorize you in a traditional Purdue sense. But in the same breath, they don't have Carson Edwards this year. So they don't have that guy that I think could really just take over a game and really make you scared in, if you're a, uh, team in their path. So I, I would say Purdue is the weakest of the fours on the three line. I mean, you're looking at Kansas. We don't know what's going to happen with them, but I assume that they're going to stay in. I mean, I'm not hearing any noise about that. And then you got West Virginia and Texas, uh, both of those teams in the Big 12. Uh, not too familiar with West Virginia, but I watched Texas play Oklahoma State, uh, and they impressed me with how they played, with their energy, uh, especially with how their center played, uh, Sims. He's, he's really good, and Chuck Smart has a history in March. Uh, we're going to hear a lot of anecdotes about that 10-year anniversary run with VCU. So I'm going to just lay it out. I did not buy into the SEC a lot this year. Alabama and Arkansas both confuse me. I don't know how far I'm going to have either of them. And they're the two teams that I kind of lump together because they're kind of in that same mold, this top 10 ranked team that I just don't know what they do. I just don't know what they do well. Um, and Arkansas, I definitely don't know what they do well. They have a player, uh, one six man of the year in the SEC. He's pretty good. 
but I'm not going to tell you to, to have them lose to Colgate. It's a game to watch. Uh, I mean, we have them as our best 14 and Arkansas as our worst three. Um, but I, I mean, they could definitely be challenged in the first weekend. And then, Hey, maybe if you're a Virginia tech fan, you hope that they're the worst three seed. And then you, you be that one team that beats Ohio state. Well, are we, ta- are we, I'm basically saying that the Virginia tech Hokies are going to the elite eight. That's a sharpie. Just put it in folks. <laughs> I mean, I, I know how much we love to see that. That'd be electric. Oh my God. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna think about it. How about this? How about we get Purdue? Let's get Purdue to the elite eight Arkansas to the sweet 16. And then Virginia tech just runs the table. I don't want to think about Purdue beating Baylor. That would make me sad as someone that grew up on Big 12. That would be very upsetting that Purdue that would actually be such did something. Poor representation, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, what do you got? Do you got Arkansas as your worst three? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they seem to get got a little bit uh, cold as of late. I mean, I, I, I just don't think of the SEC that highly this year. I, I don't think that they really have, like, those uh, big-name talents. I mean, I mean, honestly, some of it's probably because Kentucky's fallen off. But – it's just it doesn't feel like it's that elite of a conference. Even when Kentucky was hot, I've never been a big person on SEC basketball because you'll feel like you'll have those couple teams that'll throw their bids in, but then it would just be Kentucky's uh, division. And when Kentucky was really bad this year, it's kind of anyone's game. So I, I, I just don't know how I feel on them. I, I, I probably feel like they'll move on from Colgate just because Colgate doesn't have the depth of competition under their belts I just don't feel I wouldn't feel confident with predicting them personally but after that I just think it'll be struggles for Arkansas um just kind of go bottom to top here I'm unbiased with this I think Kansas is the second worst three seed and I mean this is someone that's a Kansas fan I'm concerned that David McCormick may not be at his best because people are affected by COVID in different ways um and this is a team where for someone that's been watching a good bit of their games they are a team that they need to be hot otherwise they are ice cold um brown is someone that'll get hot every now and then ochai abaji is someone who's actually been really good um through february so hopefully for kansas fans and people who are going to be predicting them ochai is going to stay hot but beyond that just it doesn't feel like this team has the leadership that they've had in the past last year they had that with devon dotson the year before Devontae Graham, the year before that, Frank Mason and Devontae Graham, they do not have that guy in Miles Garrett. The one saving grace for Kansas is not only if Ochai stays hot and if David McCormick's able to come back and stay healthy, but it's if they can keep that really solid defense that we saw last year from Kansas that's kind of been resurfacing over the past like few weeks. If that type of defense can stay, the Jayhawks can do really well, but beyond that, I would not have them higher than Texas or West Virginia. West Virginia is a team that has four double-digit scores, and Bob Huggins' teams are really good. Uh, they're teams that have also been pretty good during March Madness. So I don't ever count out Bob Huggins, uh, incredible coach. And then you have Texas yet again. March is Shaka Smart's month. Um, obviously, back with VCU, he even upset Kansas, um, and he's had a couple great times. They're the Big 12 tourney champions. Uh, they're a team that's really well-rounded and in all honesty, they are definitely my favorite three seed. And I think that they're a team that a lot of people should be keeping their eyes on. Shaka Smart's a great coach and I think he's going to really be showing it here during March. 
right. I like it. Let's move on to the two line and then we can finish up with the one line and then we can give you some quick final four tips that you should definitely ignore because they probably will go up against everything, at least that I'm saying, because I feel like a lot of people are thinking I'm playing the numbers, but then when you hear my final four, you're going to think I'm just a chalk guy. Anyways, moving on to the two seed. Uh, there are a couple teams here that I think can definitely raise some eyebrows. I mean, Ohio State had some losses this season, but like I mentioned, I think they're a very chippy team in our preview with them uh, potentially against Virginia Tech. They're, they're a very chippy team and they're very energetic. They have good talent. So I, I think that they're pretty solid. Houston's a team that's been a program that's been on the rise these last couple seasons. Uh, they had the six seed game against Michigan back in 2018 when Michigan needed the Jordan Poole game winner to uh, leave the first weekend. So that was a very exciting game. And then Houston came back the next year as a three seed and lost to, I want to say it was Kentucky in the sweet 16. So definitely moving on up. And now there are two seed after missing the 2019 final. Um, what do I want to say about Houston? I, I don't really know, but they had a really good game against Cincinnati. They, they just blew them out of the water in the American conference championship. So I'm very comfortable with them. And then Alabama uh, don't really want to touch too much on Alabama. I know that I kind of lumped them in Arkansas together, but I did not know this. Alabama is my kind of team. They hate mid-range shots and I hate mid-range shots as an analytics guy. They put up a graphic today as they were playing LSU for the SEC title. Alabama had a point distribution this year of about 41 points in paint, 40 points from three, 40% of their points from three, 17% of their points from the free throw line, and then only 2% of their points from the mid-range. I have no idea how that correlates to the rest of college basketball, but Alabama is my kind of team. Nate Oates is a really good coach, so I like how he's telling his guys to just chuck them up and only do layups because, honestly, why shoot a bad shot when you can get uh, in low or you can get a better shot for more points? So I guess that kind of leaves me with Iowa. They're very streaky, and I think that a lot of people are right to assume that they go as Luca Garza goes, but even still, Luca Garza, as good as he is scoring the basketball, he's kind of limited, and I think it limits them as a tournament team. So I'm going to say that Iowa is my uh, my worst two seed. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say they lose to Grand Canyon, even though I am a Grand Canyon fan, picked them to win their uh, conference title game. But, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that they don't make it out of the – first weekend because i don't like the seven or the ten in that region i mean i'm okay with vcu as the 10 there but i don't think that they're better than iowa uh in terms of the first real competition that iowa would meet it would probably be in the sweet 16 against like a kansas or maybe even a six seed usc if evan mobley just has a legendary tournament run in him i mean they could be a team that makes it to the sweet to the elite eight off of luca garza alone and then just meets meets gonzaga and has a rematch of that game earlier on in the season and they lose but I'm just not impressed with Iowa. What about you? I, I, I think uh, I completely agree with you with the fact of wherever uh, Luke Garza goes, Iowa goes, and as, as high of a ceiling as he wants to set for them, it's the sky's the limit. If he can be as great as he's shown, like this team could really be scary for a team like Gonzaga, who I think most people are going to be feeling pretty comfortable that they're going to have a good tournament. Um, but beyond that, I know Alabama is a team that is, uh, just a really great scoring team. Uh, I don't think they've been great defensively, but it doesn't matter when you're having games this season where you put up a hundred points, I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> and beyond that, you have Houston, um, just an overall pretty decent pro program still hurts because, uh, 
Quentin Grimes, former Kansas guys there. But I mean, so obviously he's kind of like their lead man, but beyond that, um, still a really good team. Um, but from kind of, as you noted, it seems like when they're a higher seed, they struggle a little bit more at the very least when they're the sixth seed, they had the big Michigan game. And when they're the three seed, they got upset. So maybe that's something to look out for. Um, and then you have Ohio state, a team that took it to Illinois, uh, pretty recently when Illinois won it. And overall, I, I wouldn't say they're the best, but I wouldn't say they're the worst. I think they're a team that can really uh, get it going. And if they meet Baylor, they'll give them a good fight. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel a little bit more like in the middle on the two seasons. I feel as if I should. However, I do think that they're all very strong in their own rights and they should all have their rightfully so bids for final four from people predicting them. Certainly, certainly. Now we've talked about a lot of analytics on these seats that are uh, missing out on their second weekend of the tournament and the one seed, it seems like it's always chalk, but it not necessarily you're always getting at least one of these every other year, according to these stats. So the fact that last tournament held 2019, did not see any one seeds eliminated in the round of 32. I mean, you could potentially be looking at one of them happening this year. And out of the four, all four of these are really good teams, but there's only one team right now that I think is not so much hit a wall, but definitely has the most question marks surrounding them. And it's got to be Michigan. I mean, Illinois just came off a really big win in the Big Ten. Gonzaga's undefeated. They, we know how much talent they have, not just at the college level, but they've got guys that are going to play in the NBA. Uh, and then you got Baylor who just, yeah, they had a bad game against Kansas and then they met a really hot Oklahoma state team in the tournament and they just played really, really well, but Baylor's still really good. And Michigan, Michigan's still good. You know, Jawan Howard's got them coached up well, but you just have the, uh, Eli, you have the Isaiah livers injury. He's out indefinitely. And then you have Eli Brooks who's coming off of an injury those two guys are really monumental to them and their success. So if there's going to be a one seed that doesn't make it out of the first weekend, I think it's going to be them. And I think it would be the trendy pick to be them. If we end up looking at stats, uh, if you look at some of the matchups though, in that second round, you got to look at the eight nines, uh, Gonzaga probably playing, they would be playing OU or Missouri. I think both of those teams are decent, but Gonzaga is in a whole different stratosphere. I think the, I think UNC could give Baylor a good fight, but I still think Baylor's got more talent there. Illinois, I like Georgia Tech in that game against Loyola Chicago, but and I think that uh, their defense and the way that they're coached and their energy could give Illinois a fight. But I really think that Illinois would pull that one out. I think that LSU uh, over St. Bonaventure's for Michigan would be the hardest game of those potential round of 32 matchups for the one seeds. And like I said, those injuries for Michigan and just the way that they played uh, ever since the Michigan state loss at the end of the season, they just haven't looked, they haven't looked complete and it's through no fault of their own. I mean, they're losing key players. So I want to know what your thoughts are. They're the, they're the fourth overall one seed. So I think it makes sense that we consider them to be the worst of the one seeds and the least likely to make it out of the first round, even if that likelihood is still very high. Yeah. We, we, we both, I think agree that the worst one seed I think is Michigan. I think they've, they've had three of these losses come within the last two weeks. I mean, they've been, uh, on a like on a really bad like play, and then obviously as you said if Livers is out indefinitely, that's one of their top players. That's something that's going to be of a lot of concern for Michigan. 
Um, Illinois, they've been pretty good throughout the year. Um, definitely the second best team, I would say, uh, up there right now. Just because as someone that's been watching uh, the Big 12 a lot more recently, Baylor has been struggling. Um, and I even want to bring this up specifically because you and I were talking about this uh, before we uh, started the podcast today. But um, Baylor has been on a really kind of like an interesting game. Like they haven't been losing all their games per se. But ever since they played Iowa State in February, when Iowa State kept it close and had the lead even, at, I think, at a time, uh, they had that loss to Kansas uh, at Allen Fieldhouse. The, uh, right after that, West Virginia brought them to overtime, uh, but Baylor did end up winning that game. And then after that, Kansas State in the Big 12 tournament took it to them, almost beat them. Uh, and then Oklahoma State beat them uh, by almost 10 points in the semifinals. And then obviously Oklahoma State became your runners up to Texas. So if I was to predict one of these one seeds that wouldn't make it out of uh, the first weekend, I might surprise you here, but I would say UNC would have the best chance to take it. I think UNC's just got a really good matchup with Baylor. And I think with how Baylor's been playing and with uh, how UNC overall is kind of like been playing down the line, this is that would be a lot closer of a game than I think any of us would really expect, particularly of how highly touted Baylor has been all season. Uh, but then otherwise you have Gonzaga, as you said, they're on a different level to everyone else. And when I look at Gonzaga's bracket, no matter how much of like a fan and overall, like how decent I think Kansas is, uh, no matter how good Tony Bennett can be in March, uh, no matter how good Luke Garza can be with Iowa, Gonzaga, I think, is just going to steamroll the West. Like, they're such a good team this year, and they just don't have that hard of uh, competition, I think. So, I mean, Gonzaga, they're not only the best one seed, but they have earned what I would probably say is one of the weaker-looking sides of the bracket. And they're, they've been known as the one seed to choke in March Madness recently, but – Hey, we're in a new decade now. This is our first uh, decade of uh, 2020 March Madnesses, and I think they're going to break that curse. This is true, and I'm, I mean, yeah, they, they are known to be the one seed that chokes or the program that chokes, but I mean, they're a team that continually gets to the second weekend, and I know that some people are spoiled as fans of, say, a Duke or a UNC or a Kentucky or a Michigan State or teams of that nature that just routinely make elite eights and final fours. And I mean, Gonzaga's done that. They've done that. It's just that they haven't won a national championship. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that the fact that they made the 2017 final four and made it to the national championship and were knocking on the doorstep of one was really good. Um, and I think that they have the recipe to do that this year. So I want to close out with some of our reactionary um, final four picks. I want to just shout mine out. I want to say, as of now, I would go Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Florida State. I think that sounds a little too chalky. I've got three one seeds, which doesn't really happen a lot, and I've got a four seed. And I know that a game that could potentially be contentious in that would be a Sweet 16 matchup in the Midwest with Illinois and, say, an Oklahoma State. Uh, Baylor could definitely have a slip-up, and, of course, Gonzaga could as well. But as of right now, looking at this bracket, I think those are the four teams that I've got going. What about you? Well, I'm going to have Gonzaga. I think they're a team that's going to be very popular for everyone to be picking, not only because they're the overall number one, but as I said, fairly weak side of the bracket. Um, one thing to know with Gonzaga as well, 
I think something that's been talked about on the, like, you know, with reporting recently, which I do agree with, this isn't the strongest Gonzaga team I think we've seen, but this team is good and it's the by far best in the country. So I think that there is just too much going for them. And I think there's going to be too much familiarity for them to really, you know, not make it out of the West. Beyond that, personally, I change with you here. I'm going to say Texas in the quote unquote East. Uh, as I've said, uh, Chaka Smart knows what to do in March. And this Texas team has been actually really good. And I would probably go between them and Alabama. And my personal pick there would be Texas. Um, I want to change it up in the South so bad and not say Baylor, but I just don't have enough confidence right now to say anyone. But uh, maybe when I do more research, I'll say otherwise. And I was going to say Oklahoma State, but that would seem probably a little too Big 12 home for me. Um, No matter how much I like this Oklahoma State team, so I'm actually going to go ahead and say Houston is going to make it out of the Midwest. Uh, I think that that's a really strong team. And I think yet again, if we're talking about Gonzaga breaking their curse of not being able to make that final four or really not being able to get that natty, I think Houston's really got to be able to get that out of that final four. And as we talked about, they were the three seed that what got upset by the 14. So go ahead and get themselves a good run as a top seed. All right. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening and hold strong. I know that uh, we weren't able to put out a podcast this week at our normal time, but we like the fact that we were able to get this to you on a Sunday night. Uh, We're very excited. It's a bit of a longer episode, but I know that I love talking college basketball. I love watching college basketball. I mean, going back to last year and especially with what I, how I had my setup this year with all the games that I watched and all the tournaments I paid attention to, um, college basketball in March is just the best thing in sports. I don't think there's anything that comes close to it. Uh, and I love, I mean, I love MLB playoffs. I love the Super Bowl. I love hockey playoffs. I, I don't think anything comes close to topping this. And I think that we are geared up for the best weekend in the calendar year when you have all four games going on at once and you finally learn what channel True TV is in your cable package. So, Goldbjorn, do you have anything else yet you want to add before we head out of here? Uh, I mean, maybe just looking at the week ahead and looking at the fact of, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, not basketball, but however, we are going to be having some free agency starting up. So that's going to be exciting. And uh, if our podcast is able to come back on, like on your regularly scheduled Friday and whatnot, you're probably going to be hearing some of the big matchups that are going to be uh, starting for college basketball weekend. So do be on the lookout for that. Um, I very much enjoyed this and I very much enjoy college basketball myself. I mean, that's what I grew up on. That was one of my favorite sports as a young kid. So I'm very, very happy that March Madness is back. I am too. And I'm happy to hear once again, the best theme in sports. I mean, that CBS March Madness is CBS college basketball theme is unmatched in my personal opinion. Only thing that'd be better. Like I said earlier, get Gus Johnson back on the call. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, be on the lookout for more 3304 Sports Podcasts in the future on Anchor and Spotify. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to hope everyone enjoys the upcoming tournament. I hope that we were useful in helping you make some of your selections uh, in the first round and going forward. Yep. We hope to look forward to a very entertaining tournament. College basketball and March Madness is back, folks. I wish everyone well. I wish you all have a good night and take care. Thank you for listening. Thank you.